Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The T-Biz Podcast delivers T-News that you need to know. A recap of the week's major headlines with commentary and cultural trends hosted by Dan Bolton. It is the voice of origin for tea professionals and enthusiasts worldwide. The T-Biz Podcast and T-Biz Blog cut through the clutter to connect you to experts in the tea lands with commentary and business insights by Dan Bolton. Paired with Tea Journey Magazine, a digital caravan of storytellers visiting the places and people passionately devoted to tea, each week the T-Biz portal conveniently brings to your mobile phone the news that most impacts the tea industry. Hello, everyone. Here are this week's headlines. Iran has suddenly stopped importing Indian tea and rice. The abrupt halt remains unexplained. A World Tea Bank report predicts unbearable heat for India. And China eases COVID restrictions. Plus, TBiz travels to Oxford, England this week, where Thirst has completed its initial assessment of human rights in the global tea sector and is now seeking to understand the root causes. Thirst founder and CEO Sabita Banerjee says the nonprofit will conduct confidential surveys of tea producers during the new year. In this episode, she discusses the process with South Asia correspondent Arvinda Anantharaman. More in a minute, but first, this important message. What makes a perfect cup of Ceylon tea? The perfect cup is from the tea businesses that ensure the protection of all the children living within their tea estates. We salute Kailani Valley, Telawakili, Bogawanthalawa, Harana, and Eliptia tea estates. Support Save the Children, Sri Lanka. Iran, a top tea importing country, has ceased doing business with India, a primary supplier of tea and rice. India exports 30 to 35 million kilos of Orthodox tea annually to Iran, along with about 1.5 million kilograms of Basmati rice. The abrupt halt in trade between the two countries remains unexplained. During the past nine months, Iran has increased tea imports from India. The tea ship thus far is valued at $66.4 million. Indian traders describe the situation as highly unusual, as Indian rice is much cheaper than rice from other countries. Quote, there is a very strong political undertone to it, end quote, according to two government officials who asked not to be identified by name. The move may be in retaliation for India's refusal to land Iranian kiwis and peaches due to phytosanitary concerns. India, citing pest-infested consignments, first refused entry of fresh kiwis in December 
2021. Others speculate widespread anti-hajib protests that led to the closure of hotels, cafes, and restaurants has dampened demand and disrupted banking, already precarious as sanctions prevent Iran from paying for tea in U.S. dollars. In late May, Iranian ambassador to India, Ali Shagetjeni, told India Shipping News that India and Iran are trying to diversify the payments channels to expand bilateral trade. Iran imported $121.7 million worth of tea in 2021, according to the UN Calm Trade Statistics, as compiled by world's top exports. Iran prefers orthodox tea. The UAE, Sri Lanka, and India are its top suppliers. According to India's Ministry of Commerce and Industry, trade with Iran has increased. Indian exports to Iran are up 52% to $1.8 billion for the period January through August. Iran exported to India $407 million worth of petroleum products and fruit through August, up from $290 million during the same period last year. According to IRNA, Iran's exports to India increased by 40% in the first eight months of 2022. China has eased travel restrictions and will permit people to enter public buildings without showing negative test results, except schools, hospitals, and nursing homes. Residents can travel freely within the country, but international travelers must still endure an eight-day quarantine on arrival. The country remains closed to tourists. People with mild cases will be allowed to isolate at home instead of being forced into quarantine centers. Work and local production will no longer be stopped unless the surrounding area has been designated high risk. President Xi Jinping's zero-COVID strategy was effective, limiting deaths to 5,235 people, but proved disruptive to the economy. Restrictions in recent months led to widespread protests. Commentators say that some restrictions will likely remain through July. Business Insight Travel to China to source tea and conduct business for teaware and utensils skidded to a halt as the pandemic spread. It is still too soon to book flights. The immediate impact of lifting restrictions will be a surge in infections due to a low vaccination rate. Cases surged to 25,231 this week, but 20,900 of those infected reported no symptoms. During the past three years, COVID killed 1.1 million Americans and about 1.1 million Europeans, along with 700,000 people in Brazil, 530,000 people in India, 392,000 people in Russia. 20 of the world's 174 countries experienced 100,000 or more COVID deaths. The World Bank released a climate assessment with dire predictions for India at a Kerala government-hosted conference on developing India's cooling sector. Severe heat waves responsible for thousands of deaths across India in recent years are increasing with alarming frequency 
and may soon exceed the limits of human survivability. Quote, in April 2022, India was plunged into the grip of a punishing early spring heat wave that brought the country to a standstill, with temperatures in the capital, New Delhi, topping 46 degrees centigrade. That's 114 degrees Fahrenheit. The month of March, which witnessed extraordinary spikes in temperatures, was the hottest ever recorded, according to the report. The report said that 380 million people, about 75% of India's workforce, are exposed to heat that may rise to life-threatening temperatures. Quote, By 2030, India may account for 34 million of the projected 80 million global job losses from heat stress associated with productivity in decline. India experienced the highest toll on labor among South Asian countries, with more than 101 billion hours lost yearly due to heat. Analysis by global management consulting firm McKinsey and Company shows that lost labor from rising heat and humidity could put up to 4.5% of India's gross domestic product, equal to about 150 to 250 billion U.S., at risk by the end of the decade. India's long-term food and public health security depend on a reliable cold chain network. Cold chain facilities cover only 4% of fresh produce in India, and India loses approximately 20% of temperature-sensitive medical products and 25% of vaccines due to broken cold chains, causing $313 million a year in losses. Arvindan and Theraman in Bengaluru reports on this week's tea auction prices. India Tea Price Report for the week ending 3rd December 2022. The news continues to be subdued this week with Iran stopping imports of tea from India. There has been no response or clarifications about why this has happened. So there have been a lot of speculations ranging from a rupee trade settlement between India and Iran to retaliation for Iran's rejection, for India's rejection of kiwi and peaches. With Iran being a major importer of Indian tea, this has been a cause of concern. Imports from Iran between January and August this year stood at 16.4 million kilos. Currently, CIS countries lead the list of importers, with the UAE emerging as the second largest importer, having imported 28.5 million kilos between January and September this year. In auctions at sale 48, Kolkata continues to see good demand for all tea grades, particularly orthodox, dust, and Darjeeling tea grades. Both Tata Consumer Products and Hindustan Unilever picked up uh, a good good amount of Darjeelings this week, uh, 14, 14% for Tata Consumer Products and 9% for Hindustan Unilever. Prices were above 500 rupees a kilo. Exporters from the Middle East were active for orthodox tea. In Guwahati, HUL it's Hindustan Unilever was active for both leaf and dust grades, but average prices and sale volume were similar to the previous week. In the south, Punong continued to see good demand for leaf grades, both orthodox and CTC. Exporters were active for orthodox grades, while major blenders absorbed most of the CTC leaves sold. Dust grades saw fair demand, Sec- secondary dust grades sold well. In Cochin, orthodox dust did well, but nearly all of it sold. 
and export us to the Middle East and CIS countries for active for orthodox sleep. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hello, I'm Bogdan, a passionate tea drinker and the inventor of the ultimate tea machine, the Brewmaker One. Preparation is key to making fine tea. Sequential steepings deliver the best taste possible and unlock the true value of whole leaf teas and botanicals. Brew automates that process without using any pots or capsules. This simple-to-operate, smartphone-controlled device stores steeping profiles to consistently make great tea at the push of a button. Brew also reduces time, waste and energy. That's because I engineered the brew to remember control settings for temperature, brewing time and quantity. Using my patented process lets you stack steep simply and conveniently. TBiz travels to Oxford, England this week, where Thirst has completed its initial assessment of human rights in the global tea sector and is now seeking to understand the root causes. Thirst's founder and CEO Sabita Banerjee says the nonprofit will conduct confidential surveys of tea producers during the new year. In this episode, she discusses the process with South Asia correspondent Arvinda Anantharaman. Shabita Banerjee, an economic justice advisor, was born and raised on tea plantations in Kerala and Assam. She spent nearly 20 years working in ethical trade and international development, holding strategic posts at Oxfam and the Ethical Trading Initiative. Shabita was previously a member of the Board of Directors of Just Change UK, a voluntary community tea trading initiative. She co-founded Thirst, the International Roundtable on Sustainable Tea, and this year, Thirst launched the Human Rights Impact Assessment of the Global Tea Sector. Planned as a three-year study, Phase 1 on Literature Review has just ended, and Phase 2 is set to begin. So we speak to Shobita about the study so far and upcoming plans. Thank you for joining us, Shobita, and I'm eager to hear about how the study has been progressing so far. But first, do you just want to debunk some preconceptions about this study and the survey, especially as you've just launched producer survey? Because human rights is a touchy subject, isn't it? And you've often emphasized that first wants to work collaboratively with producers and stakeholders. Yes, you're right, Aravind, that human rights is a touchy subject. But perhaps if we just think about it in terms of, uh, rather than thinking about the phrase human rights, If we just think about tea workers and farmers as people like ourselves, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, who just want to live a decent life, who want to have a a house that is safe and uh, waterproof in the monsoon and um, who are able to um, afford to educate their children to a decent standard and um, who can maybe have some savings, who who can, if any member of the family falls sick, are able to get medical attention for them. Um, If we think of it in that way, then um, I think there's nothing touchy about that. You know, that is something we all want for ourselves and we all want for anybody that we work with. And I'm sure that everybody in the tea value chain would want that for tea workers and farmers, if possible. However, we are 
working in a system that was established 200 years ago um, and in it was established in a, with a certain structure that most of which is persisting today and uh, th- it was established at a time when there were very different moral standards in terms of how workers should be treated. And so we need to have a fresh look at all of that. We're living in an age of um, the UN guiding principles on business and human rights. Um, There is soon going to be um, legislation from the EU on mandatory human rights and environmental due diligence. Um, There is growing demands from customers, from investors, from potential employers, for companies to be able to demonstrate that everybody that works in their supply chain has a a life that meets those decent standards. And so I think that's the the way to to look at um, this issue and not worry too much about the phrase human rights. I think the two preconceptions I'd like to debunk with this phase of the human rights impact assessment is firstly, the um, preconception that civil society is somehow out to attack the tea industry um, and wants to destroy it. Um, Actually, the opposite is true. Um, NGOs and civil society organisations, as well as much as um, the tea industry itself, want the industry to survive. They want it. We want it to thrive. We want everybody within it, within a thriving industry, to be treated fairly and have a decent life. So that's the first um, preconception I want to debunk. The second one is that tea producers are solely responsible for the condition in which tea workers and farmers are living. They are just as much part of a a wider system as anybody else in the value chain. And in fact, the majority of the uh, profit of the margin from um, the sale of tea is actually concentrated at the packing and retail end of the value chain. So we shouldn't be looking solely at producers to try to solve some of these problems. We should be looking at the whole value chain and trying to discover what everybody within the value chain can do to um, make life um, better for tea workers and farmers. And I mean, making life better for tea workers and farmers, while it's the right thing to do, I mean, if we were to use the language of human rights, it's their right to have a decent life. But it's also um, beneficial to the industry. There is a, a business imperative for ensuring that workers are not so unhappy that they um, are desperate for their children to get out of tea production. Um, And so just in terms of um, retention, productivity and reputation of the tea industry as a whole or, or, or companies, individual companies, it is really important for tea workers to be able to say we have a decent life and for tea farmers to have a decent income. Where were the gaps in available literature on the tea sector? The two biggest areas where we found that there were gaps in the information were firstly um, in information from um, East and Southeast Asia. Um, there is a lot of literature, of, you know, and, and 
disproportionate amount of literature about Assam um, and less so, but still quite a lot from Kenya and Malawi, um, but very little on, on other um, areas. Um, and even other East African countries like Tanzania, a lot of the resources that we found were quite dated. Um, but um, from about countries from East Asia, uh, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Vietnam, etc., which are very big, major tea-growing countries, there's very little literature on what life is really like for for workers, tea workers, and farmers there. So that's a gap that we hope um, will be filled. I have to say that, you know, we were just looking at uh, resources that were available in English. So it may be that there are other resources out there, although we have tried to trace those and and have not found um, any more information as far as we know. So if anyone listening to this knows of resources, uh, reports, uh, documentation of the situation for tea workers and farmers in those areas, I'd be very pleased to hear from them. Uh, the second area where we we found that there was gaps in the information was about smallholder tea farmers. Because um, as you know, Arvind, the, the, there is a huge surge currently going on in um, small tea farmers. And in fact, um, more than 50% of um, tea globally is now grown by small-scale tea farmers. And um, just reading the news today that um, APJ is pulling out of the tea sector in India. Um, re recently, warranty also pulled out of um, their tea estates in Assam. It does seem, it looks as though the plantation sector is is weakening, and the small tea grower sector is is growing. And therefore, it's really important that we um, that we start to document and research, you know, what is happening to the workers, and the farmers and their families, um, because if um, there were problems in in estates, and I think this is something that estate managers and owners have been telling us for years that. Um, yes, they may not have um, the ideal perfect conditions, but they have some protection, uh, workers on tea estates. Um, and But um, small-scale farmers, um, they are, um, you know, dispersed across huge areas. Um, there is no organisation between them. It's very hard to, to monitor. It would be very hard for retailers and brands to monitor what is happening within those farms, um, whether the human rights of everybody within those farms are being met. And so this is an area where we really need to see more documentation of those issues. The second phase of survey and interviews is a key phase, isn't it, of surveys with producers and interviews with in industry stakeholders, particularly workers. What's the expectation of this phase? Yes, you're right, Aravinda. This second phase is really key. Um, the this is the analysis phase. So with the three phases of the or four phases of the human rights impact assessment, the first phase was assessment, where we um, documented um, the both how the industry works, what standards are in place, what the human rights in principle and in practice. The second phase is analysis, which is the phase we're in now. The third phase will be action planning, where we bring together 
multi-stakeholder, international multi-stakeholder players to discuss what should be done. And the fourth phase will be accountability, where we try to um, support the tea industry to, to monitor those action plans and how effective um, they are, whether they need adjustment, etc. So this is a key phase, this analysis phase. And the... Uh, I would say one of the most important parts of this phase, which will consist of three things, um, a producer survey, uh, key informant interviews with um, a wide range of people throughout the tea sector and technical experts in things like international trade, gender, um, the tea industry as a whole. And um, the third element will be looking at alternative approaches. You know, what have different players been trying around the world to improve working conditions for workers or how tea is traded? And so starting to put out some potential solutions. But the most important one of those three, I think, is this producer survey, because producers' voices are, are in fact quite rarely heard. We... People worry that um, the voice of workers is not heard, and that is a, a legitimate worry. But there have been this huge number of reports, um, many NGOs and trade unions and academics interviewing workers, finding out their, their position and their point of view and their lived experience. And obviously, brands and retailers uh, are usually um, happy to speak out. But for producers, it's harder because, um, firstly, they're often um, directly blamed for the condition of um, workers on their estates. And secondly, they are just part of a wider value chain, a wider supply chain. They have little control over the prices that are paid for the tea that their workers produce. And they are also under pressure with increasing costs and increasing um, climate impacts, um, which makes it really difficult to run these estates, um, as perhaps we've seen from some of these companies pulling out and a lot of estates closing, leaving um, workers in a really vulnerable position. So we need to uh, hear the voice of tea producers. We need tea producers to be able to say what pressures they're under and what would help them to, um, to, to try and address some of these problems. Um, and they need to be able to do this in confidence, um, anonymously, so that there, are, there is no um, commercial um, risk to them in speaking out in case some of their um, answers may seem critical of their customers. And, you know, the way that Thirst, um, uh, the principle that Thirst works on is that we're not about blaming any any player within the within the tea value chain. We're not blaming producers for how they treat their workers. We're not blaming brands and retailers for how they do their purchasing practices. But we just want to understand. We want to understand how it all works, where the levers for change may be, how the current situation might be driving some of the problems that are undeniably there in the tea sector and what could be done by those players to address those problems. And like you said, there's little available literature on small tea growers, given the differences in how large estates, small tea growers, bottling factories, etc. operate. 
Yes, you're right. Um, the tea sector is very complex um, at that production level, well, at, at every level. But the um, focus of this survey, we had to um, be very clear about um, who we were targeting. And I think the issues for small-scale farmers, for bought-leaf factories and for tea estates are, are all very different. So it wouldn't work to try to cover them all in one survey. So we are um, targeting this survey at large, at tea estates. We may do surveys on factory workers and small-scale tea producers at, at a different date, but currently we're using the, the Indian government's um, definition of, of a larger estate, which is um, estates of um, five hectares or more and employing over 15 people. Um, but I just want to emphasise that this survey is not exclusively um, for India. It's for any country in which tea is being produced. So all tea producers um, who meet those criteria are, are invited and encouraged to um, take part in the survey. What are the challenges you foresee? I think the main challenge that I foresee is, um, is really um, getting producers to take part in the survey because, you know, over the years, over the decades and centuries, I think a lot of trust has been lost between the different players within the tea sector. And it's going to take, a, you know, a lot of time and careful work to try to tear down those barriers or dissolve those barriers between the different players. Um, so I just want to really reassure producers that this survey will be done completely anonymously um, and you can um, respond to the questions in, in confident that um, the responses will not be revealed to, to anybody. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to aggregate the results. So we will, our report will say things like, um, you know, a certain percentage of respondents um, confirmed that um, in the last year, this is how much of their made tea was sold below the cost of production. So we're not naming any producers, we're not naming any buyers, any brands or retailers, we are just going to focus on the um, generic responses that uh, tea producers give us. But we also do have space within the survey for producers to um, give us a bit more detail if they would like to. Again, those responses will be treated um, completely anonymous. And, you know, if there's anything within it that would um, identify um, the estate or, or their customers, um, we will uh, not publish that. Um, but it will be extremely valuable for us to have that information so we can feed that knowledge and understanding into the next phase where we're developing, um, we're working with the industry to develop action plans. And we invite producers themselves to be part of those multi-stakeholder discussions, to be part of the discussion about what role they can play in improving um, the life and uh, work of their workers, but also um, what they need from the other players within the value chain in order to enable them to do that. How different will thirst on-ground research be from, say, audits by certification bodies? 
The Global Tea Producers Survey is a very, very different thing to uh, an audit or um, certification standards. Um, I think audits and um, certification checks, they are just that, they're checking up on the producer Whereas this is asking the producer to say what their challenges are, what their opportunities are, what their situation is. Um, so the data from this survey will will complement um, what you get from, from audits, um, but it is a very different kind of study. Is there anything you'd like to put out there to producers on why they should participate in the survey, on what is expected of them and how the information will be used. Yes, I'd like to say to all tea producers, um, managers and owners of tea estates out there in whatever country they're in, um, to really consider seriously taking part in this survey. This is not um, just a, a sort of brief uh, few questions. It, 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 is, it will require maybe an hour of your time but it will give you the opportunity to really put your side of the story forward. Um, as I said, thirst is not about blaming any party for um, the situation of tea workers and farmers, but we do feel that the voice of producers has not been heard. Um, this is your opportunity. Often producers um, say to me um, that the um, what is reported about them is is not accurate. This is your opportunity to to give accurate information about what it is like to try to manage a tea estate and to pay workers a decent wage and provide decent benefits. Um, so please do take up this opportunity. Don't be afraid. Don't be defensive because this is not an attack. This is an uh, this is offering you the opportunity to speak out. Um, and so the the survey, um, if you um, do agree to take part, will be um, you'll be emailed a link. Um, the survey is on SurveyMonkey, which we've researched and has found to be the most uh, secure. The data is the most secure. And um, as I mentioned before, we will aggregate the data that we receive and um, we'll put that together in a report to, to try to reflect what producers around the world are, are facing, what challenges they're facing and what the situation is really like for them. And then that report will be combined with our findings from the key informant interviews. And we hope that some of you will agree to take part in those interviews. And it will also be combined with the um, results of the alternative approaches that we hope to be able to document. Um, so, so we combined with the phase one report, we will have um, looked at the problem. We looked at the, how the tea industry works. We looked at two, the human rights in principle and the human rights in practice. In phase two, we will have looked at the um, producer's perspective, uh, key informant interviews, giving us more of an analysis of the industry and 
what could be maybe driving some of these problems. And then um, also these alternative um, approaches, which are some of the potential solutions that there might be. And we'll bring all that together for phase three. Um, and as I said, we will then be inviting um, tea stakeholders um, from around the world to come together to discuss um, what they, working together or individually or in, in groups, could do to address these problems and um, thereby not only make lives better for tea workers and farmers around the world, but also make the tea supply chain stronger and make the reputation of the tea industry better. And finally, if someone wants to participate in the survey or open the estate to the interviews, how should they go about it? Anyone who'd like to take part um, in the survey um, should go to Thirst's website. It's www.thirst, which is T-H-I-R-S-T, dot international. So www.thirst.international. And um, if you scroll down, you'll see a link to the um, producer survey, which will enable you to register for it. And very much look forward to um, hearing what producers around the world um, would like to share about the realities that they are facing. Intrigued by what you heard in today's podcast? Would you like to learn more from our global network of TBiz journalists and tea experts? Remember to visit the TBiz website for more comprehensive coverage. That's www.t-bizbiz.com. Thanks for listening. Farewell till next week. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.